Good morning, everybody. Good morning. I know it's not morning. Can you, can you hear me okay? I'm on the wireless mic. Can you hear me okay? Good. So I work nights, which means uh, to me it is morning. Because I woke up at 3.30 p.m. today. So I've only been awake for a few hours. Had tacos for breakfast. Very good. It's a good, uh, it's a good Wednesday. Anyway, I just wanted to thank everyone for being here. It's good to see so many faces. Um, I'm really thankful that in this time, with so much going on, it's not just the virus. Seemingly this year has just been thing upon thing upon thing piled up. We can still be here at church. You know, they can't take that away from us. They can't take God's word away from us. They can't take our faith away from us, and nothing can ever take your salvation away from you. That's forever. And that's why it's God's perfect gift, because once you have it, you have it. That's it. So how great is our God? How good is our God? Amen. We're going to be in uh, Exodus tonight. Exodus chapter 24. That's where we're going to start. Exodus 24. You have to have a certain fondness for the Old Testament. When I, when I was younger, when I would read the Bible, it was always New Testament, New Testament, New Testament. But once I got actually, once I set out my plan where I was going to read the whole Bible in a year, Exodus 24, that's where we're going to, where we're going to be. Once I decided to read the whole Bible in a year, I set out this plan where I would read three chapters a day. And if you do the math, that shapes up to be roughly about one year. You'll go through the whole Bible if you read three chapters a day. And I remember when I got to uh, the end of the Old Testament. And if you read this book, you, you know that the Old Testament's like 80% of it, right? It's, it's lengthy. It's like going with the wind. It just keeps going. And then you get to the New Testament, and it's fast. But I remember getting to Matthew for the first time, and I couldn't hold myself back. I had been on pace reading three chapters a day, but when I got to Matthew, I think I read 18 chapters that first day, because I was so excited to just see, this is, this is the story of God in the flesh come to the planet to save people. Let me see what it's all about. Let me see what he's going to do. And it was just so, so gripping, because if you read through the whole Old Testament, you see so much of it points right to Christ. It does, because Christ is the fulfillment of God's new covenant for all of humanity. And everything that we learned in the Old Testament, everything that was revealed to humanity through that was fulfilled in the person of Christ. He was the plan the whole time. And if not for Christ, it doesn't work. The Old Testament doesn't work without Jesus because Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And he's the way that we can bridge that gap. He's the way that we can be reconciled to God the Father. So I'm, I'm very thankful for that. And it was just a special moment for me reading the Gospel of Matthew for the first time. And I don't want to take away from the other three Gospels because they're all great, but Matthew happens to be the first one in the book, so it's got a special place in my heart. But we're going to be in Exodus tonight because um, there's so many lessons you can pull from the Old Testament, and especially Exodus. And, and before we read chapter 24 here, we're going to read the first, um, actually we're going to read from verse 9. I just want to set the stage. So this is the Israelites, and they're in the wilderness. So just a quick backstory: the Israelites, after they had... Uh, been settled, they went down to Egypt, because remember there was a famine in the land, and Joseph, who was sold into slavery in Egypt, rose up, had this high position of power, his family came down to buy food, and eventually they all moved down to Israel. That was Jacob and his 12 sons, and they grew up in Israel, and they became the Hebrew people. Well, after Pharaoh passed away, further leaders in Egypt enslaved the Hebrew people, and God miraculously brought them out. We know the story of all the plagues of Egypt, the parting of the Red Sea, that miracle that delivered them out. And God was taking them out of Egypt because he wanted to give them a new home in the promised land. 
in the land of Canaan. Um, but before they could get there, they had to go through this journey in the wilderness. And this spot here in Exodus 24 is dealing with one moment uh, in that journey. This is right before Moses goes up on the mount to speak to the Lord. Okay? So we're going to start in verse 9. I'm going to read verse 9 through the end of the chapter. Exodus 24, verse 9. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God, and did eat and drink. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there. And I will give thee tables of stone, and a law, and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us, until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses went into the midst of the cloud and got him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount forty days and forty nights. Amen. Let's open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for all the lessons that you've taught us. We thank you for the lessons that you continue to teach us through your word, Lord. And we thank you that you had a plan to save the Israelite people, Lord, for the express purpose of revealing yourself to all of humanity in the person of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Lord, for salvation. I thank you for this church. I thank you for the refuge that you provide us, Lord, in times of trouble. I pray, Lord, that you would use me tonight. Use me to speak whatever message you have. Use me to speak the words that, that you would have all of us here, Lord. Uh, but just bless each and every one of us for being here, Lord. We're here to hear from you, and they don't want to hear from me, Lord. We need to hear from you because you're the only one who can actually make it make sense. And uh, you're the one who controls everything, Lord. So we give it up to you. We give you this, this time. Uh, we thank you for all that you've done, and we thank you for Jesus Christ. In his holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. I love this passage here because there's very few moments in the Bible very few moments where there's actually a description of someone witnessing or physically seeing God. Okay, we have the New Testament where we have Christ, the person of Jesus Christ who was God in the flesh walking around. But to actually see the glory of God, you remember Moses um, could never look at him face to face. God said, well, I'll, I'll walk by you. I'll kind of brush by you and you can just watch me go by and that's all you can see. Because if you actually look at the Lord, you'd be just, I think you'd, you'd actually expire. <laughs> I don't think you'd survive that. God is too holy. But there's this vision of God revealing himself to Israel here. And if you look in verse 10, when it says, And they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. I don't fully understand what that means. And I think when they saw this and they tried to write it down, they didn't even have the words to describe properly what they were seeing, which is how awesome God is. But a paved work of sapphire stone, I imagine the Lord kind of standing on this ocean of glass. You know, we know the Lord has this fascination with walking on water, so maybe that's what it looked like. I don't know, but imagine being an Israelite. I want you to put yourself in the shoes of these people for a minute. Okay, you were a slave in Egypt. What was your life like? 
backbreaking labor. You had to spend all day moving bricks, and towards the end of it, you had to get the, the material to make your own bricks, if you remember that little piece. And day in and day out, they labored moving these stones, moving all this material for the kingdom of Egypt. They were slaves. And for God to do what he did, to send one person, Moses, and his brother Aaron as messengers, to speak God's word to Pharaoh directly, and then to send plague after plague after plague to eventually break Pharaoh, culminating in the angel of death and the Passover, for all that to happen, right? This people, they lived through that. They saw that firsthand, okay? A lot of us have faith in God, but we didn't live that life. We haven't had God deliver us physically out of slavery, okay? This is the God that parted the Red Sea, and these people lived through that. They saw Moses raise up his staff at the borders of the sea, and it parted for them to make way across it, okay? And this is the same God that now comes down, reveals himself to the people, and on the mount with Israel, with uh, Moses, he looks like a devouring fire. These people are experiencing firsthand all the evidence and all the power of the Lord God Almighty. And I just think about this. How strong must, it, must their faith have been? Okay? I have faith. It's not, it's not all that much. I know because I can't move mountains. and I, I never will be able to. But I didn't live through this. If you lived through this, if all these events actually happened to you, how much stronger would your belief in God be? We have trouble believing what we can't see. Okay? They saw all of this. They experienced it. If you saw a sea physically part, the waters on the left and the right, held back by a force, how strong would your faith have to be? You would know. You would know God. There would never be a doubt in your mind that God didn't exist and that he wasn't strong. You would know it from that day forward. And the majesty of God here, I think, is on full display, which is why I like this passage so much. But the story of Exodus and the story of the people coming out of Egypt Okay? This isn't just a story in the Bible. Okay? This isn't just a historical event here that takes place. And of course, it's relevant to what happens, but listen, when Jesus came down to earth, when God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ and taught the people, what did he often do? He spoke in parables. He spoke in parables. Why did he do that? He spoke in parables because he had to. That's what I believe. God's understanding is beyond us. We know that. God is infinite, and we're finite creatures. We have a beginning and an end. We have a life on this planet. That's what we know. But God's wisdom is beyond any of us, okay? So for him to relate what he knows to us, he has to put it into terms we can understand. He has to package it up nicely for us, hence the parables. So when Jesus spoke in parables, he was taking the word of God and putting it into a form that the people could relate to, that they could understand. That's a way he could teach lessons to them. And this story of Exodus, I'm telling you, is a parable for your own life. I promise you that. If you look at your own life, and not just what has been, but what's to come, God is going to deliver you from some things in your life. I know this. I know this because God has delivered me from some things in my life on more than one occasion. And I know he'll do it again in the future because it's a recurring pattern. God wants us to draw closer to him which means he may need to take us away from something that's not good for us in order to do it. Think of the times in your life where you've been delivered. Maybe God made a way for you to find a new living, a new job, a new career. Maybe God found a way to get you into a different school or a school that was going to open doors for you. 
Maybe God found a way to get you out of a bad situation at home. Maybe God found a way to give you the right relationship when you were in the wrong one. God works in the ways he's going to work. But I promise you, this story of Exodus is going to bear witness in your life. And you will have a testimony just like this because it's a parable as much as it is an event. It's both. And I want to share with you just a little testimony as I go forward here. Because there was something that happened uh, big in my life this year that I think is a direct correlation to this, and I'll share with you why. Um, just a little bit of background. I'm, I'm 35 years old. I have a wife. I have a son. My son is real small. He's uh, 17 months old. He's a little guy, but he, he's happy, and uh, he's healthy. And praise the Lord, he's healthy. We've been very blessed. Um, but I, I'm, I went through a major career switch this year. I had been working at uh, a Subaru dealership, a car dealership, for eight years. Uh, first couple of years, I, I was selling, and then I was doing finance, and then I went into management for the last six. And has anyone ever had a job that you just weren't, or maybe, maybe you were at one point, but you just kind of lost the passion for it? Has that ever happened? <laughs> Hands everywhere. <laughs> if you've ever been in a job that you felt was kind of a dead-end job, like you wake up one day and you go to go because you need to make a paycheck, but you think, what, what, am, I doing? Like, what am I doing with my life? What is this? This isn't, this isn't fulfilling to me. And I had been put in this position at a, at a dealership, family-owned, small business, where I just felt that the ceiling was crushing me because every day I got up, I went to work. There were days where I woke up before my son woke up, and I got, to, I got home from work after he went to bed. There were days like that where I would go from 7 in the morning until 9 p.m. at night not seeing my son because that time was gone. I was no longer happy with what I was doing. The grind of doing it, of just seeing that I've done, I've done the management job for six years. What's ahead of me is another 30 of that if you want to do it. It's going to be the same old story. I wasn't learning anything. I had mastered the job. I had mastered the team. I had mastered the product. There was nothing more for me there. And I wasn't enslaved, but geez, did I feel trapped. Maybe you felt trapped at a job before where the only reason I continued to go into work was because I didn't have another option. Like, like this is it. I have to provide for my family, so let me just suck it up and do it. And I could have done it, but I just felt that there was something wrong. And I spent the last two years in that job wishing I had something else to do, honestly. And I prayed incessantly for it. I prayed that the Lord would just give me, give me an opportunity, give me something. Give me a change in my life that I can, that I can be motivated and fulfilled and, and make a way forward again. And earlier this year, well, we know what happened in March. We had a, a shutdown because of the pandemic. And we have another one looming over our heads now, but that, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Back in March, um, we actually got a call one day where uh, the government said, the, the PA government said, we have to shut down by Friday. And I remember some of my coworkers coming up to me saying, Rob, what does this mean? Like, and uh, I went to the, the owner, the, the owner and the GM, and, and we had a conversation. And um, because we're sales-based, we had to lay everybody off. We didn't know how long we were going to be shut for. So we fully laid off the entire staff. I mean, we're talking a sales team of maybe 40, 30, 40 people when you count all the departments. New cars, used cars, finance, management, uh, internet sales. So I remember going home after the shutdown. Uh, I, uh, first off, I remember the last day of work because it felt like, uh, it felt like the last day of school. 
I saw my coworkers walking up, and I said, hey, man, do you want to sign my yearbook? You know, it, was, it, just, it just felt like that, that last day, like, hey, this is goodbye for the summer type of thing. And we, we didn't really know how long it was going to be. But I remember getting home, and that first few days, being able to spend time with my family, being able to spend time with my wife, with my son, to just watch them, interact with them, to, to be able to join in and help out, you know, because it's, it's a busy job raising kids. Um, it was just so joyous. And the Lord blessed me with something. I was able to apply for unemployment. You know, that was fine. But in the state of PA, you can actually work part-time on top of unemployment, and they'll give you a little bit extra. So I went ahead and did that. I got a, a part-time job at Wegmans as a, as a cashier. Nothing exciting, nothing real glamorous, about 20 hours a week, but just, just a way to, you know, bring some income in while we were, while we were laid off. Um, and something happened because I was only working 20 hours a week and I was spending all this time with my family. I didn't want to stay in my job, but after being physically taken out of it and stuck at home, I, I, I mean, I really didn't want to go back, right? If that door is open and then you get pushed out the door and you didn't like where you were, why would you want to go back? Well, you wouldn't. So I started praying and a few weeks go by and it looks like things are kind of getting to the point where we might be able to open up again. And um, I was talking to the management at Wegmans uh, pretty much from day one. Because I was a cashier, but I was, my eyes are thinking as a leader. I'm watching who's in charge, what happens around here, how does it all work. So I'm making my moves. I'm scouting out the place. And my conclusion was, this is actually a pretty darn good place to work. <laughs> this place is actually pretty well run. And retail is retail. Whether I'm selling cars or selling turkeys, I mean, it's kind of the same business in, in some sense. But... Um, I just, I was so in awe of what the Lord had done because he had put me in a place just to give me a new perspective. And I talked to the management one day about possibly going full-time. I said, well, you know, do you have a position for me if I wanted to go full-time? And they didn't. One, one thing about Wegmans, which is kind of strange, um, they open up new stores very infrequently, maybe a handful, two or three a year. Each store staffs about 500 people. They recently opened up a store in Virginia store that's going to hire 500 people, they had a hiring event. You know how many applications they got for 500 positions? 50,000. 50,000 applications to fill 500 positions. I've never worked in HR or hiring, but I can imagine <laughs> having to sit through stacks and stacks and stacks of applications. This place is not easy to get into. It really isn't. That's a 1% acceptance rate. Of 50,000 applications, they took 1%. And that was their staff. That's harder than Harvard to get into, okay? And what ultimately happened, um, the day before I had to go back, because our, our car dealership was finally able to open again, the day before I had to go back, and I, I just saw it as, I really don't have a choice. There's no full-time position for me here. I have to go back. I went online to the website just to check. Let me just browse the job listing, see what's up there. They had a full-time position in a department that I liked open for one day. They were taking applications for one day. And I said to myself, that's a little strange. Usually if you're going to take applications, you take them for like 30 days. So I convinced myself the reason this job posting is only up for a day is because they're hiring someone internally and they just, they're doing the formality of putting it online, but they're not really taking applications because they already know who they wanted. That was what I led myself to believe. But it was foolish because I should have seen it for what it is. Because wouldn't you know, I put in my application and it was contested. I mean, they had dozens of applicants. They interviewed me. I got the job. 
I got the job. A one-day job posting the day before I was supposed to go back to my last job. Is that the Lord at work? Well, listen, the Lord makes ways where there are none. Did he post that job application just so I would have a way to get my foot in the door? I know he did. I know he did. And I don't need to, I don't need to read between the lines more than I do. It, it's hard enough for us to keep our faith at an, at an elevated level. But more and more throughout your life, as you look at God's hand on your life, you're going to see how he delivers you through things. And this was one of those times. The day, my last day at the Subaru job before I started with Wegmans full time, I opened up my devotional. You know the devotionals we have that are, come out every three months? I read that once a day. You know what that story was about that morning, my last day at my last job? The story that morning, it was about the Israelites leaving Egypt. That was the exact story in the devotional that morning. God has a plan. He has a plan for you. He has a plan for me. He has a plan for your future. And you know what that means? That means he had a plan in your past. You have to look at your life sometimes and just see, what did God take me out of? What was the Red Sea that he parted me from? What was my Egypt? What was my enslavement that he broke me free from? And God's going to bring you through it, I promise you. He will. He will and he does because God is that good. God wants to break our will from being about this world and turn it and flip it to being for him. God wants us to pursue him the way that he pursues us. And it's going to take us a long time to get there. It's going to take me a long time to get there. But imagine the last day on this earth is going to be the day that you meet God face to face. You're not going to take anything with you when you depart this world. I heard something great. I've never seen a hearse followed by a U-Haul. It doesn't happen. When you leave this life, you leave it the, way, the same way you came in. Nothing came with you. Nothing's leaving with you, except if you have salvation. That goes with you. And that's God's greatest gift to us. So I want to pause here in, in the Scripture. And we, we, we kind of did, didn't we? I got off on a tangent. But God delivered these people, and they lived through every single moment of it. Their faith had to be, in my opinion, at its strongest point. But what happened next? Okay, Moses goes up on the mount to be with God 40 days and 40 nights. And the Israelite people are just down there waiting. But they can see Mount Sinai. It says here in verse 17, The sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. If you looked over to your left and you saw a mountain that was on fire and you knew God was up there, you'd believe in God. <laughs> you wouldn't have a doubt, would you? Uh, and seemingly they could see that whenever they wanted, but what happened? The next seven chapters go over uh, what happened with Moses and God up on that mountain. And if you haven't read this, definitely read this, because this is, it's seven chapters of God talking to Moses one-on-one. It's amazing. But I want to talk about what happens to the Israelites during these 40 days, because it's so crazy to me how a people that could be so strong in their faith, having just been delivered from slavery, miraculously, what could they do next? You think they would just wait patiently for Moses to come back down, right? You, you think, you would hope. Certainly, if you were in that people, you'd be like, hey, God's up there. You know, let's just, let's wait until he comes down. And the awesome thing is we're going to get to see from Moses, we'll hear from Moses what, what God talked to him about. That's exciting. That's good, right? But the Israelites are 
kind of just like us. And that is they are, we are quick to turn, aren't we? I want to title this message, They Have Turned Aside. Flip forward a few chapters, flip to Exodus 32. I'm going to read the first eight verses of Exodus 32. So Moses is up with God on the mountain, with the Lord covering Mount Sinai like a devouring fire. Meanwhile, the camp of the Israelites at the base of the mountain, in full sight of the mountain, what are they up to? Verse, chapter 32 tells us. Let's read the first eight verses. And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what has become of him. We don't, know what, we don't know what happened to him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons, and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off their golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early on the morrow and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go, get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I have commanded them. They have made a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. So they didn't even forget 40 days. I don't know how long took place between Moses going up on the mount and then them deciding, well, he's dead to us now. We need to make a new God. <laughs> was, it, was it a day? Was it two days? How long did they have this calf? I don't know. Maybe they made it 30 days, 35 days. It really doesn't matter. Because how could they take their faith at its strongest point and just chuck it out the window and say, God is dead to us. We need to make a new God. I mean, it is, it is completely despicable. And yet, when I read this, it's easy for me to say, oh, the Israelites, wow, how could they possibly do this? But I need to turn the mirror and look at myself. Because as strong as I can be, sometimes in my, in my walk with God and in my faith and in my prayers and in everything else, I can be just like this. I can turn aside so quickly and just fall into sin and lose my way. And it's, it's embarrassing. It's really embarrassing my only answer, my only saving grace is God is good and he's going to lead me through whatever I go through. And he's going to forgive me if I come to him and confess. But why can't we get this thing right? Why can't I do a better job? Why can't I just walk with God and that's it? My flesh. My flesh tears me down. You know, my flesh shackles me to this world. My flesh doesn't want anything to do with God. <laughs> it wants everything to do with sin. It doesn't want me to do things of God, of love. It wants me to do things for myself, you know? And a crazy thing here, if you look in verse, look at verse 4. So they make this calf, and then what do they say at the end of verse 4? They say, these be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. They start looking at this calf and saying, this is what brought us out of the land of Egypt. Wait, wait, wait a minute. You have a mountain with fire on the top. Moses is up there talking to God, the God that you saw do miracles and part the Red Sea for you. And you have this 
golden calf over here? A cow? And you think that's, that's what brought you out of Egypt? What did, it, did it fight? Was it punching Pharaoh with its hooves? I mean, what was it doing? <laughs> it had nothing to do with it. How are we led so astray? And that same mentality of God didn't do it, this thing did it, we, we can sometimes warp it in our heads and pervert it to where I think like, well, you know, maybe someday I think, well, God didn't help get me out of the car dealership. I made that happen. You know, God doesn't deserve the credit because really it was me and my skills and everything else. I'm the one who made that happen. Well, what is that? That's just a false God of my own hubris. That's my own pride building itself within me to say, hey, you don't need God. You got you, right? That's foolish. That is so foolish because we need to, we need to acknowledge that without God, we have nothing. I can't even draw breath. I don't have a life at all if it's not for God that created me. So why should I give credit to anything other than God? We need to keep the right perspective. And we are prone to turning away. But God calls us to walk straight. You know, in, in I believe it's the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, the road to heaven is straight and narrow. But the road to hell, that's wide. That's easy to walk. The road to heaven is straight and narrow. Few there be that find it. Walking with God is not easy. Putting your faith in Christ is not easy. Living as a Christian is not easy. And seemingly as the years go by, it's getting tougher and tougher because there's less, I'd say, true Christians out there in the population. There's more people that don't believe. There's more atheists. There's more uh, folks who just don't care about any of it. And they're so led astray. But to walk the straight and narrow, I mean, that is a, that is a top calling. That is not an easy thing. Has anyone ever driven down to Virginia? Have you driven down to Virginia along the coast? There's a, there's a road down there. It's not really a road. It's called the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. Have you heard of this? Seen it? Okay. If, you, if you've driven it, it was built by the Army Corps of Engineers. When you get to the border of, um, you get to like the end of uh, Maryland, if you drive south through Delaware and Maryland, you're going towards Virginia Beach. There's this 17-mile stretch of bridge. <laughs> it just goes out over the ocean. It's really amazing. And it goes underneath the water two times. Well, I tell you what, walking the straight and narrow is kind of like driving on the Chesapeake Bay Bridge Tunnel. Because road, or let me say this, sin is a road with no shoulder. As I walk with God, it's not like I can just pull off and take a pit stop. I need to stay planted with God every step of the way or I'm going to fall off into the ocean. <laughs> the straight and narrow is literally straight and narrow. And in my walk with God, I stumble so many times, He's constantly having to pick me up and rescue me and bring me back along with Him. And just like the Israelites turning aside, I convict myself. And that's, I think, what we're designed to learn from this is it's never about anyone else with regards to salvation and repentance. It's always about us. The Israelites turned aside from God and they did it quickly. Well, God calls us to repent. The word repent means to turn. It means to turn from your sins and turn back to God. So our flesh wants to turn us to sin. God wants us to turn back to Him. And we're like this little robot just going back and forth, doing a little dance all day. But listen, if we have a walk with God, over time, we can get it more right. We can get it right more often than not. And what I mean by that is maybe, maybe I'm going to stumble in my walk six times this year, more like 600 times this year. But maybe next year it'll only be 559. 
and maybe the year after that it'll be 515. If I learn how to pull myself back from sin and just throw myself at God and do it quickly, he's going to be right there waiting for me. He's the one with the trampoline, with the parachute at the bottom of the building waiting for you to jump, and he's going to catch you. You have to trust him, but he's going to be there every single time. I know this. And God is so good that no matter how hard we fall into sin, he still loves us. He still loves us, and he still wants us to pursue that relationship with him. And even if I feel that there's things I've done, I know people like this. I know people that get hung up on salvation because they think they're not worth saving. Well, listen, I got words for you. If you think you're not worth saving, you underestimate how much God loves you. Because God wouldn't have laid down his life for you unless you were worth saving. And when God laid down his life in the person of Jesus Christ, he didn't just do it for everybody. He did it for you. 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 He did it for each and every one of us. That's why it's so special. The God of this universe gave his own life to pay the price for your sins. He did that for you because he wants you to choose him and accept him. That's how much he loves you. The magnitude of that cannot be overstated. It is an amazing thing. And we really need to turn back to God just each and every day. But as Aaron Moses' own brother went full bore here helping these people make a golden calf. I want you to, I want to close with this and I want to give you something to think about. In your life, okay, so let's set the scene again. Moses is up on the mountain talking to God. The Israelites are having these crazy golden calf parties down in the, in the wilderness. There's probably like rave music going on. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm speculating. But listen, as, as soon as Moses left, they turned aside. As soon as Moses left, they were gone. And I'm going to challenge you here. I'm going to tell you this. You're going to be one of two people. Either you're going to be a Moses to someone in your life, or someone else is going to be that Moses for you. Here's what I mean by that. There's someone in my life that if their walk goes away, if, they just, if they're gone, if I don't have them in my life anymore, <laughs> I'm lost. I'm going to lose myself in sin. It's not going to be good because they hold me accountable. But maybe it's the other way around for you. Maybe there's someone in your life that needs your strength, your faith. Maybe there's someone that depends on you, and they need to see you walking with God each and every day in the Word. And when they see that, it gives them the strength to keep going. You're a Moses to them. If you stop reading your Word, if you stop doing what you do and praying and being with God, if you stop, they're going to stray and turn aside. So it's going to be one or the other. But think about your life. Think about the people that are closest to you. Save people. Think about whether you're leading them and they're leaning on you or whether you're leaning on them and they're leading you and you need their faith to be strong. But listen, have a conversation with them. Help that person hold you accountable. Help them be held accountable because we shouldn't go this alone. Listen, if we could go this alone, we wouldn't need the church. If all we needed was the word of God and that personal relationship with him, we wouldn't need the church. But the church is vastly important. Your faith is vastly important. The right to exercise service in this country is a, is a freedom that we enjoy. And not everyone in the world has that. Let's make good use of it. As you see people here, you know, Janet Perkins on the, on the prayer meeting, she's having a rough week. She needs prayers. We need to lift her up. We need to hold each other accountable and go as a flock. Because listen, if a few of us get led astray, we're all going astray if we let, if we let it happen. We operate as 
like a herd mentality. That's what people do. <laughs> you see it with this coronavirus thing. You got herd mentalities all over the place. But God wants you to have a walk with him. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Love others as yourself. That's the second commandment. Jesus' second commandment. So that's it. We need to walk with God. We need to bring each other along with us. So just identify. Is there someone that needs some help from you? Someone that needs some encouragement? Go encourage that person. And if they're the one who's always encouraging you, thank them for it. Hey, I just want to let you know, your walk with God inspires me, and I need you to keep going because if you slip, I'm going to slip. Maybe you need to admit that to that person. But figure out who's going to hold you accountable and who you hold accountable and cling to that. But let's do this thing together as a church family because God is in control. We know that. What he has left for us in our lifetimes, we don't know, but he does. But he's brought us all into this building. He's brought us all into these relationships with each other. Let's cherish them and keep them important. Because if we have each other, that means God says these relationships are important to each other. God says to us, you guys need each other. Here's a church for you. So I love each and every one of you. And I hope your walk with God is strong. I hope you're reading your word. I hope you're praying every day. And if you need some encouragement, I'm going to encourage you right now. Any time you spend with the Lord is time you will never regret because he's going to pull you through every step of the way, every single time. Amen. No matter what happens in your life, God has got your back. And he loves you, and he died for you, so you are worth it. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you so much for everything that you've done, Lord. Um, we thank you for the bodies you've given us, for the church you've given us, for the lives you've given us, um, for everything you've blessed us with, Lord. Um, it's a week coming up to Thanksgiving. We just want to be thankful for who is our provider, and that's you, Lord. You give us food each and every day. You give us the clothes on our back, the roofs over our heads. Uh, Lord, you have a plan for all of us, and I thank you for having that plan. You died for us on the cross, and I thank you for doing that. You offered salvation to us, and we chose it, Lord, and that was the only, the only good thing that we really ever did was choose salvation. But, Lord, would you raise us up as a church? Would you use this body of people that you've assembled together for your honor, for your glory, Lord, for the furtherance of your kingdom. Do something amazing with this group of people, Lord. Whether it's reaching new people to be saved, whether it's doing something amazing in the community, Lord, I don't know what it is, but you do, and you know what's out there. And the future is a long time, Lord, so help us to just stay fixated on that walk with you. Help us to walk that straight and narrow, to not stray left or right, to plant our feet solid in the word, and to cling to you if we have to, which is every day. I uh, thank you, Lord, for all you've done in my life and all of our lives. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.